This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we finish Ruth with Ruth Waits with Naomi, Take My Right of Redemption, Boaz Redeems, Ruth Bears Obed, and then we head back into the New Testament with Intro to James. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Scripture is quite clear that Christian baptism brings the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit comes through baptism. Now, that does not mean the Holy Spirit does not come through other means as well. The preaching of the Word and the other sacraments, of course, that promise is there. But baptism means that the Holy Spirit is active and working. So how do we deal with three incidents in the book of Acts where it appears that the Holy Spirit delays after baptism, or sometimes shows up before baptism. What are these accounts telling us? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Mark Serberg joins us to talk about baptism, the Holy Spirit, and the Book of Acts. He's pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Marion, Illinois, author of a recent column for the Concordia Theological Quarterly, The Holy Spirit and Baptism in the Book of Acts. Mark, welcome back. Thank you. What is the biblical way of understanding the relationship between baptism and the gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's really very straightforward. Uh, just as Acts 2.38 says, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So baptism gives the gift of the Spirit, and we find this confirmed uh, in places like John 3.5, which is born again of water and the Spirit, and um, Titus 3.5, the, the regeneration work by the Spirit. So baptism and the gift of the Spirit go together. Why do some Christians point to several accounts in the book of Acts as evidence against this relationship? Well, there are several uh, unique uh, occurrences in the book of Acts that don't follow that pattern. So in Acts chapter 10, when Peter is with Cornelius, Peter is preaching the gospel to them. The Spirit falls directly upon Cornelius and the Gentiles, and then afterwards they receive baptism. And then in Acts 8 and Acts 19, in Acts 8, the uh, Samaritans have been evangelized by Philip. They're baptized, but then we learn that the apostles come down and lay their hands on them, and they receive the Spirit thereafter. And then likewise, in Acts 19, Paul encounters some disciples or people who seem to be disciples at Ephesus, and there they are baptized, but then afterwards Paul lays hands on them and they receive the Spirit. So because of these other instances that occur in the book of Acts that don't follow that exact pattern, people sometimes want to say that baptism and the, the gift of the Spirit don't necessarily go together. You say that Peter's Pentecost sermon, especially the injunction to repent and be baptized every one of you, is programmatic for the book of Acts. What do you mean by that? Well, in Luke, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus' address uh, at Nazareth, uh, when he quotes Isaiah 61, is, is programmatic for the Gospel of Luke. And in the same way, in Acts, 
Peter quotes the text from the end of Joel 2 and talks about uh, how the Spirit uh, is causing these people to prophesy. That provides the understanding for how the Spirit is going to work now in the book of Acts as he's poured out. And in particular, uh, we find that in verse 38, we have these themes of, of repentance, baptism, and the gift of the Spirit all going together. And so this sets up the way that we are to think about baptism and the Spirit in the book of Acts, uh, because this the initial chapter in chapter 2 is setting up the formation for the way that we're to think about what's happening at Pentecost and, and how the Spirit is now going to work in the church in the book of Acts. Let's go through the accounts one by one, beginning with Acts 10. What happened there regarding baptism and the giving of the Holy Spirit? Well, in Acts 10, Peter, uh, because of the, the vision from God and the messenger, the angel sent to Cornelius, uh, goes to Cornelius and the, the Gentiles there, He's preaching the gospel to them, and then in verse 44, we, we heard that while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word, and the believers uh, from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So they've heard the gospel, the Spirit has fallen on them directly, and then Peter says immediately afterwards, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And so the Spirit falls upon them directly. The parallel here very clearly is what happened to the disciples themselves at Pentecost, that the Spirit fell upon them directly, that there was speaking in tongues, and here there is speaking in tongues. And so it's showing that the Gentiles are included in the same way the disciples were. What's important is that the Spirit has fallen on them directly, and Peter's assumption is can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So even though it has occurred in this dramatic and new way, Peter sees that the gift of the Spirit and baptism must go together. And this sort of introduces us to the fact that we have these three other events in the book of Acts, which are all exceptional circumstances. There are multiple textual features that connect Pentecost in Acts 2 with what happens to the Samaritans in Acts 8, uh, what happens to the Gentiles in Acts 10, and what happens to the disciples of John in Acts 19, and leads us to read them together as being unique instances. And, and in fact, when you look at each one of them, they're dealing with some specific group that God is acting in a dramatic way to show that they are included. And so it's these exceptional circumstances that lead us to see baptism and the Spirit, the relationship being slightly different than what we expect. But they all tie back to Acts, ultimately, to Acts 2, where Peter has established that baptism and the Spirit uh, go together. And in fact, in each of these texts, so just in this one we've just seen, where Peter's immediate response is, well, if they've received the Spirit, they have to be baptized. These have to go together. The texts continue to show that, in fact, this paradigm of, of baptism and the Spirit holds true throughout the book. So we're maybe talking here about a series of Pentecosts, the original Pentecost, the Jewish Pentecost. This is actually, it's, it's a, yeah, scholars have used this to describe a Samaritan Pentecost, a Gentile Pentecost, and a Johannine Pentecost. And those, that's a really helpful way to think about it, because each one of these instances is this dramatic action by God, showing that some new group is being included in the the eschatological work of the Spirit that has begun at Pentecost. Tell us about that account in Acts 8 of the baptism of Samaritans. 
Well, Philip, uh, because of the, the persecution that's taken place, Philip and others disperse. He goes to Samaria and preaches the gospel uh, and baptizes people. Um, and then uh, we're told in chapter 8, verse 14, now when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we have this, they had not yet and, and had only been. Again, this language indicating that baptism and gift of the Spirit should have gone together, but in this case they had not. Uh, and so they lay their hands on them, and then we hear in verse 17, then they laid our hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. One of the things that's, that's helpful to note is that Simon, who then of course wants to, to buy uh, this giving of the Spirit, it says, now when Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands, the fact he saw it seems to indicate that there was some kind of visible manifestation going on. It's not explicitly stated, but it sounds very much like just as there was in chapter 10 and chapter 2, there was probably a speaking in tongues that was going on here that would sort of further parallel it with these other events. So that Peter and John see that the Spirit has not fallen upon them yet, whereas they've been baptized and it should have happened. And so what they do is they lay hands on them, which is an act which is associated with the blessing being directed towards a particular individual, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And in this dramatic action, God is demonstrating that the Samaritans are going to be included. And of course, the Samaritans hold this very strange relationship to the Jews. They're, they're not Jewish, they're not really Gentile, and there's been all this historical antagonism between the two groups. And so the inclusion of the Samaritans is a very significant event, and that's why the way that the Spirit comes upon them is unique and different. But again, the language in the text indicates that the Spirit and baptism normally should go together. You mentioned the laying on of hands. What should we make of the Holy Spirit being given by the laying on of hands? It is a, a specific instance and in way in which the Spirit is given in these, these two unique circumstances in Acts 8 and Acts 19, and we don't hear about it elsewhere, where there simply is an exceptional and unusual way to deal with these unique circumstances in which, especially in the case of Acts 8, where they've been baptized but haven't received the Spirit, and it's a way of actually designating that they are now receiving the Spirit and addressing this, this unusual circumstance. Pastor Mark Serberg is our guest. We're talking about baptism, the Holy Spirit, and the book of Acts. There's another account there in Acts 19. We'll get to it next. Here's an easy way for you to help us cast ChristNet on the internet. Subscribe, rate, and review the Issues Etc. podcast with your podcast provider. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. Help us reach more listeners in 2024. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today. How did God address the Gentile nations through the prophet Isaiah? What is God's message to his own people regarding both judgment and consolation? And how does Isaiah's divine message apply to us today? Find out in the new Concordia Commentary on Isaiah, 
chapters 13 through 27. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah 13 through 27. Come join LCMS Worship for the Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music, July 9th through the 12th, 2024, at Concordia University, Nebraska. We'll gather under the theme, The Songs of Deliverance, and focus on the Psalms together. Everything you need to know is at lcms.org slash worship institute, and you can look for registration information in the early part of 2024. That's lcms.org slash worship institute, God's mission right where you are. A number of people have asked about Ad Crucem's process to order our faux stained glass window clings. It's easy. Email us with your window's dimensions, the images you require, and the style you like, and we will quote to design, print, and ship your window clings to you. We recommend having them professionally installed. If you wish to purchase a sample, we have a gorgeous small Luther Rose cling available on the website. Pop on over to adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Old theology, new technology. You're listening to Issues Etc. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. This is Jeff Schwartz, General Manager of Lutheran Public Radio, with a message for listeners in the Mountain and Pacific time zones. We pledge to have Issues Etc. podcasts posted daily, no later than 5 p.m. Mountain, 4 p.m. Pacific. This will allow you to download and listen to the latest Issues Etc. podcast weekdays during your evening commute. Again, if you live in the Mountain or Pacific time zone, download Issues Etc. before you leave work and listen during your drive home. Issues, etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking with Pastor Mark Serberg about his column, The Holy Spirit and Baptism in the Book of Acts. Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod chaplains deliver word and sacrament ministry to our military personnel and their families. For more information on their work, visit lcms.org slash armed forces. Serving those who serve LCMS ministry to the armed forces, lcms.org slash armed forces. Mark, in Acts 19, there's another account regarding baptism and the giving of the Holy Spirit. What happened there? Well, there, Paul encounters at Ephesus a number of individuals who, he obviously, from the moment he encounters them, is kind of unsure what to do with them. So he, he, he encounters these disciples, some disciples they are described, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they give this very odd reply that they hadn't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so then uh, his next question is, well, what, what baptism have you received? Uh, and they say that they were baptized into John's baptism, uh, that is John the Baptist's baptism, or the baptism that had started with John. And then Paul instructs them about John and his baptism, and that he was calling people to believe in the one who would come after him, that is Jesus. 
And once they have heard about Jesus, then they are baptized, and Paul lays his hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit and also begin to prophesy uh, and speak in tongues. And this is another instance where you have this group of people who are somehow affiliated with the baptism of John. This is not to say they're probably not actually John's disciples, but they have received the baptismal rite that has come out of John. And they're a group that's on the fringe of the Church. They're not unbelieving Jews. They're also not Christians. And so Paul preaches the Gospel to them. In hearing about Jesus, they then are baptized in Jesus' name. They receive Christian baptism. And just as in Acts 8 with the Samaritans, Paul lays his hands on them, and in this means they receive the Spirit. And again, this is one of these unique circumstances that take place to demonstrate that this group on the fringe is now included because they have received Christian baptism, and the manner in which they are receiving it is is in hands because it is announcing that, that God accepts this group too. So it's not a denial that baptism and the Spirit go together, because in fact it is the language about baptism moving then to faith in Jesus that prompts Paul to baptize them in the first place, but instead it's showing that in this unique instance, God gives the Spirit in this way to demonstrate that these people are in fact included. Are the Ephesians in this account, when Paul encounters them, Christians yet? Clearly they're not. Paul obviously senses something that's wrong. You know, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Is not exactly his first way of approaching people. As we begin to hear about the fact that they aren't even aware that the Holy Spirit is available, you know, they can't possibly be Christians, much less possibly be disciples of John. And ultimately, it is by preaching Christ to them and explaining Christ is the one for John prepared the way, that they then actually receive Christian baptism and become Christians. So they're certainly not when he encounters them. How is the Apollos situation in Acts 19 different from that of the Ephesians? Well, Apollos is different in that he is described as teaching accurately about things concerning Jesus, but we're told he only knew the baptism of John. So his knowledge about Christ is sufficient and accurate. His knowledge about the broader teaching of the Church is not complete and whole, and that's why we see Priscilla and Aquila take him aside and instruct him more accurately. But he knows Jesus, and he knows faith in Christ, uh, the crucified and risen one. And that makes him different from these Ephesians that Paul meets, because they need to actually have Jesus as the, the focus of the one for whom John prepared the way. They actually need to hear that, whereas Apollos already knows that. The only difference is that he's only received the baptism of John. It's just that he hasn't received Christian baptism. But he has Christian faith because he knows, knows accurately the things about the death and resurrection of Jesus. What does Acts 19 show us about the connection between baptism and the giving of the Holy Spirit? How does it sort that out? Well, it's helpful to to see it uh, in the context of the way that Acts 8 speaks the same way about this laying on of hands, but there you've already seen that they had only received the, uh, they had only received baptism, they hadn't received the Spirit, and, and the Spirit had not yet come upon them. And so Acts 8 and Acts 19 are sort of mutually interpret one another and help us to see that the laying on of hands is not the denial 
of baptism and the Spirit going together, but rather a specific instance where in order to address this unique situation, God's Spirit is given in this way after baptism. Uh, and so the text itself in Acts 19, it is the, the, the talk about baptism goes to Jesus, and having understood Jesus, then that leads them to be baptized, which is the, the natural flow of things. And therefore, the account in Acts 19 shows us that it's the unique aspect of these Johannine-associated guys that they need to be included in the church, and that's why hand-laying provides the Spirit there. The language from Acts 8 shows us, uh, which is the parallel, we also have this hand-laying, that the assumption is baptism and the Spirit normally should go together. I mean, that's the way it should normally work. It just doesn't work in, in these specific instances that we hear about, which are all unique and important groups that are being included in the Church, and God is acting in a dramatic way to show that, that they are, in fact, included in the Church. Are these baptism accounts that we've mentioned in Acts 10, 8, and 19, are they included precisely because they are exceptional circumstances? Entirely so. Acts is, is interesting in that you know it, it narrates a few baptismal occurrences, but these are the ones where, where it takes up groups of people in particular, or larger groups of people, and they each deal with, with significant elements within first century Christianity. So certainly uh, the Samaritans in Acts 8, an even bigger deal, the, the, the Gentiles in, in chapter 10, and then um, we don't probably recognize as much, but, but something that was a potential source of tension, groups that ha- would have been associated somehow with John the Baptist, and how do they relate to the church? And so we hear about each one of these uh, and how they are going to be included in the church, and therefore we hear these unique and sort of unusual ways that the, the Spirit is received, but precisely because they, they flow and they are tied together with what we find in Acts 2, that shows us that they are exceptions, unique circumstances, specifically because they deal with these different groups. So uh, several objections that need a response. First is that someone will say, well, why can't we make the exceptions too? There are exceptions in the book of Acts in the apostolic era. Why don't we make the exceptions? Well, uh, we've been given the mandate by Christ in terms of how to baptize and how to make disciples. And we have the, the assurance of God's Word that baptism and the Spirit go together. So we don't have any other freedom in which to operate. The, the God's Word has given us the parameters with which we, we are to do things. And therefore, you know, that sort of gives us the groundwork in which we're going to do things in the life of the Church. Someone looks at Acts 2.42 and they say, well, it's a sequence. They go together as a sequence. First you repent, then you're baptized and then at some future time, there's this promise of the Holy Spirit. But they might say, it's not that baptism brings the Holy Spirit or gives the Holy Spirit. How do you respond? Well, there's no indication in the text that there is a delay, and the immediate description of the life of the Church thereafter, in verses 42 and following, indicates that there is no delay, that it is a life they're going to they're baptized, they've received the Spirit, and now the Spirit is guiding the life of the Church. And in, in addition for that, then you could also you would want to step out of side of the, the book of Acts and go to other places like John 3 and, and Titus 3 to show that this is a consistent biblical witness, that the work of the Spirit in baptism, that they go together. Pastor Mark Serberg is pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Marion, Illinois. He's author of a recent column for the Concordia Theological Quarterly called 
the Holy Spirit, and baptism in the book of Acts. Mark, thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Friday on Issues Etc., it's This Week in Pop Christianity with Chris Rosebro of Fighting for the Faith. It's true. It is the Apostle Paul who calls baptism a washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Would you like to learn about the Reformation theology you hear on Issues Etc.? We'll send you a pamphlet of Luther's small catechism for free. It contains the biblical teachings on the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and Confession and Absolution. Order your free copy of Luther's Small Catechism today. Just send your name and mailing address to talkback at issuesetc.org. Do you want a church with a rockin' band and a sermon series to help you live a better life? It's not here. Bethany Evangelical Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights offers authentic, historic Christianity to a world awash in fads and entertainment, and offers forgiveness of sins to people overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Join us Sundays at 9.30 on Old Collinsville Road in Fairview Heights, Illinois, to receive the life-giving gifts of God with us. Find out more online at BethanyLCMS.org. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. Do you dread going to work out? Performance Fitness in Edwardsville offers a fun, supportive, tight-knit community and environment. Visit them on the web at performancefitness618.com or call 618-692-5063. Performance Fitness is the facility in the St. Louis Metro East where the focus is on member results, not membership numbers. 618-692-5063 or performancefitness618.com. Performance Fitness of Edwardsville. Criticism. I just had to call in to respond to this week's installment of Never Trump Dribble from Terry Mattingly. Compliments. I love the interviews and insights because they help me battle the slings and arrows of outrageous theology and practice. Clarification. 
is there a point where without baptism, infants go to heaven and after which time they go to hell if they're not baptized? The issues, etc. Comment line 618-223-8382. Church music directors can find a new community at Prelude to Postlude, the CPH Music blog. Learn helpful tips for managing music ministry and involving members, and meet the composers of some of your favorite new pieces. Plus, find suggestions of music to use for special services, and preview some of our newest works with free samples you can use at your church. Visit us at preludetopostlude.org. A blind sinner is carried to baptism administered by a pastor. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. That was the epiphany event where our eyes were opened to see the amazing grace of God in the very face of Jesus.